You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Chester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We had Pastor Mark preaching last week on praise, which was incredible. And today we're going to go into a how-to on the Lord's Prayer. But I want to give you a little bit of a life update first, if that's okay. Now, Lysandra and I got a dog at Christmas. In fact, Lysandra got the dog six years ago, but he's lived with the grandmom, my mother-in-law, for the last three years. And at Christmas, he's come up to live with us. Now, our dog has issues. Let me put it like that. The dog has issues. When we were walking the dog, one of the first walks in Whitstable, just over Christmas, we're walking down the street and he's great with people. Like he loves people. It's just other dogs he's got issues with. We're walking down the street. He's barking at this dog. He's barking at that dog. We're trying to get him to calm down. MacGyver, chill out. It's fine, it's fine. Walking down the street some more. And then coming down the street is a guide dog. Now you think this dog would have morals, but we're walking down the street and what does he do? He barks at the guide dog, right? What the heck? The dog needs to get some morals, right? And on top of that, last night we took the dog to the tailors to meet another dog called Freddy, right? And they're getting on really great. We're like, this is breakthrough, right? This is huge. This is awesome. And then MacGyver decides to pee on the curtains. Pray for us people. Man, our dog has issues. First ever doggy date he's had, right, since he's been up here. And he pees on the curtains. So there's your prayer point for today. If nothing else, pray for us because the dog is causing us some issues. One of you had a time in your life, church, where you've known what you've needed to do, but not how to do it. Known what you've needed to do, but not how to do it. Thinking back to Christmas when I was really young, I got my first ever set of rollerblades. Oh my gosh, talk about excited and pumped up. I was like, yes, I'm gonna be really cool flying through the street. I'm gonna look awesome. You know, I put my elbow pads on, knee pads on. I was too cool for the helmet. Should have put the helmet on. Thanks for that wolf whistle, I'll pay you later. But I'm uh, going to buy all my rollerblades, right? Thinking this is gonna be awesome. I knew what I needed to do, one foot in front of the other, but I didn't really know how to do it. And you know, in rollerblades, they say it's really easy to stop. You just, you know, pull one back and there's like this thing on the edge of the boot that like, you know, stops you from. It's awful, isn't it? I knew that if I needed to stop, that's what I needed to do, but I didn't really know how to do it, right? So I'm, I'm skating on my rollerblades. I'm thinking I'm Jack the Lad, but in reality, I'm going from wall to car and wall to car, falling all over the show. And I get to this like decline on the path and I start to pick up some speed. And I think to myself, I know what I need to do. I just need to do this. But when you've just started on rollerblades, the idea of being on one foot sounds awful trying to do this. So I, I try to do this to stop. I cannot stop, but I see a bin ahead of me. And I think this bin is my savior. I'm just gonna commit. I'm gonna crash into the bin, grab hold of it, and I'll stop. And that'll be the end of it. And I'm flying down this hill, picking up speed, picking up momentum, 
committing to this bin, but little did I know that that morning the bin men had come and it was an empty bin and I went crashing into this bin, fell under the bin and I'm lying on the ground with a bin on top of me. It is humiliating, especially when you're 11 years old and your mate comes past on his bicycle and tells the whole school what he's just witnessed. Times where you've known what you needed to do, but didn't quite know how to do it. Maybe if you, it's been ice skating. Oh, how hard can ice skating be? One foot in front of the other, but you get to the ice rink and you're falling all over the place. Maybe it's been riding a bicycle. You know what you need to do, but not quite how to do it. Driving a car. Oh, that's easy, isn't it? You just put the foot down and turn the steering wheel until you get in the car and realize that there's a clutch, there's gears, there's all sorts going on. Know what you need to do, right? But not how to do it. And in this story, we just heard beautifully read from Hannah in Manchester, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is in this moment with the disciples and he's on the Sermon on the Mount. He's given like one of his best preaches of his whole life. And his disciples in the crowd are asking him how to pray. They know that they need to pray, but they don't know how to do it. So Jesus, sitting with his disciples, teaches them six things in the Lord's Prayer on how to pray. That's right, church. I said six things, and I've got 19 minutes. You need to pray for me for this message. Somebody needs to have faith. But the danger for us today is if, like the disciples, if we know what we need to do but not how to do it, then our prayer lives will become random, maybe a bit spontaneous, maybe a bit flippant, and we won't truly understand the authority, the power, the depth of relationship, and what God can do in us and through us if we just pray. Church today, we can't leave today just knowing that we need to pray. We've got to leave knowing exactly how to do it. So the first thing Jesus teaches his disciples in how to pray is he teaches proximity. Turn to your neighbor and say proximity. Starts with our Father in heaven. Now, right before this piece of text, Jesus uses the word Father three times. He's trying to get the disciples and us today as modern day readers to understand the relational aspect and dynamic to prayer. We're not just praying to a distant, far off God. We're praying to God the Father. Now, let's be honest. Father is complicated for us as humans because we've all to some degree got a an interpretation and an experience of an earthly father. For some of us, that's not so good. Our experience of fathers, our fathers that were distant, were absent, maybe didn't treat us how we should have been treated. So we see father through that lens. Or perhaps your picture of father is of a dad that came to your football games, cheered you on, embarrassingly, you know, hung that banner up when you were playing sports shouting, go on, you can do it. Maybe it was a great interpretation of, of father. Jesus uses this word father, but then adds in heaven. Now, it's, it's kind of funny, isn't it? Because everyone who's listening knows that God's in heaven. It's not, 
It's not a, a treasure they're trying to uncover here. People know it. God is in heaven. But Jesus, by using Father, is helping us see Father through a lens of a dynamic relationship with a Father that loves us, but adds the in heaven bit so we won't see God through the lens of our earthly experience, but we'll see God through the lens of heaven. We can't afford to see God through the lens of earth. We've got to see God through the lens of heaven because when we see God through the lens of a Father in heaven, we realize God is a God that absolutely loves us, is for us, will never leave us or forsake us, is near us, is beside us, is championing us on. Jesus teaches us to pray proximity to a Father that loves us. God is in heaven. That sounds far away, doesn't it? But by His Holy Spirit, He is near. And Jesus teaches us to pray to the God of heaven, not so that it would fall on deaf ears, but because God is near enough to hear what we have to say. The Bible says this in Psalm 17, verse six, I have called upon you, for you, God, will answer me, incline your ear to hear my speech. Whatever you're facing today, whatever you're up against, whatever is going on in your world, God's ear is inclined to hear you, not because he's distant, uninterested, but because he's a father who's close, loves you, cares for you, and is there ready, not just to listen, but to act upon the prayers that you pray. Did you know that your prayers don't bring God closer to you, they actually bring you closer to God? Psalm 137 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, God, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I sail on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. When you pray, you're bringing yourself closer to the God who loves you and is ready to hear from you. He is close today. He's not absent, but he is right along beside you. The second thing Jesus teaches us to pray, they all begin with P today, so you should remember it, is position. Turn to your neighbor and say position. Hallowed be your name. The next part of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. Name means revered and honored. As I write it like this in 66 verse one, heaven is my throne, this is God speaking, and the earth is my footstool. I think the reality for all of us today is in our finite human understanding, we cannot comprehend the size of God. Have you ever watched one of those YouTube videos that shows you the size of the earth? then the size of Mars, then the size of the sun, then the size of some other massive planet. And it literally goes on, right? We can't in our human understanding comprehend the size, the scale, and the magnitude of God. The Old Testament writers struggled as well. Every time they'd write Yahweh, they would say this. They would speak out loud. They would say, I am writing the name of God for the holiness of his name. And they'd reverently wipe the pen because they held the name of God in such esteem and in such honor. And when we pray, we kick off our prayer life by hallowing 
honoring, revering the name of God. And we lift up and we praise and we elevate the name of God because there's power in the name of God. We are praising and lifting up God. Yes, to edify Him, to give glory to Him, to give Him all the praise that He's worthy of for all that He's done and going to do. But we pray His name because there's power in the name of God. We don't pray on our own ability because we can't do much, but through the name of God, my gosh, the impossible comes to life. What seems in impossible, invincible, immeasurable, we can do and achieve because we bring his name into the equation. The reason we pray is because there's power in the name of God. And God's position right now is in heaven on the throne. But I wonder today in your life, is God positioned on the throne of your heart? Is your prayer life fixated on self? on me, on myself, on what I need? Or is your prayer life fixated on God, His will, His kingdom, His power? Am I robbing God of His position on the throne by placing my desires, wants above His name? Am I elevating my problems above His position? And this is what prayer does. Prayer positions God on the throne and so abdicates my problems of their power. If you've got problems, needs, struggles, circumstances today, speak the name of God into the situation, into what seems impossible. Bring God into the equation and watch your problems be abdicated of their power. Because when we elevate the problem, it's hard to see the solution. But when we elevate God, God starts to help us see with perspective and with possibility. The third thing Jesus teaches his disciples to pray this is a big one, isn't it? It's perspective. Perspective. Turn to your neighbor and say perspective. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Think back to a moment right now, to a time where you've thought you've known best. A couple of months ago, I was on a minister's in training weekend with two of our pastors, Pastor Miriam uh, leading our Cardiff campus and Pastor Josh leading Sheffield campus. Side note, we launch weekly services at Sheffield tonight. Onwards, that's class, isn't it? It's not my point, but it's a great point. And I'm with Pastor Josh, and we're coming to the end of this two, three-day retreat. And it's that time where, a couple months ago, where the snow is raging down south, the trees are on the railways, we've both caught trains down. And I'm looking on my phone at the train times, trying to plan my way back. And there's literally 10 minutes before the conference ends and I see this one train that's still running that is gonna bring me all the way back up to the north, to the promised land with God's people. And I'm like, yes, oh, favor isn't fair, people. I'm like, all the other trains are canceled the wheels. Oh, but my train's still on, come on. So I'm pumped up. I'm like, Josh, if you get this train with me, we can head on up to Coventry, get another train. It's all gonna be sweet. And he's like, Lee, when this conference ends, we literally have three minutes to get to the train. I said, Josh, Oh, my God is the God of the impossible. You might not have much faith in Sheffield, but in Chester, oh, we've got some faith. So he's like, right, okay, I'll trust you. So we start, we, we leave, right? We barely say goodbye to anybody, grab our bags, running through the rain to this train stop to try and catch a train. A guy who lives in Coventry called Luke pulls up in the side of his car, says, lads, do you want a lift to Coventry? I'm heading that way anyway. And I'm like, it's fine, mate. This train's on. You know, this is the way. We're gonna be sweet. Josh is like, Lee, you're crazy. So we're running, we're running. I'm out of breath. Josh is fit and healthy. He's not, you know, I'm like, oh, I need the 
the Decatur or go to the gym or something. We're, we're running to this train. And as we get there, we find out that I had read the wrong train stop and there was no train coming this way. Oh, people, devastating, devastating. As I looked at Pastor Josh and we decide then we've got to get an Uber. So we get an Uber all the way up to this other train station in Nuneaton to get another train all the way to Coventry for me to wait an hour and a half to get the train towards Liverpool. It stops by crew to get the train from crew all the way back to Chester, right? Times in your life where you think you've known best. Man, I couldn't see the big picture. I was so narrow in my thinking that all I could see is from my perspective. But God's position, the beauty of God's position in heaven is God sees everything from a different perspective. We see a temporary perspective. God sees an eternal perspective. We see the now perspective and can see back in hindsight and yesterday, but God sees the beginning from the end. God sees the full jigsaw piece and we just see the piece that we're slotting in. God's position gives him a completely different perspective. And Jesus teaches us here in our prayer life to pray his kingdom come, his will be done, and to relegate my will to God's will and my kingdom to God's kingdom because all I see is this little piece of the puzzle, but God sees a full picture. And Jesus is telling us and the disciples today, don't get so caught up in your will and your way and what you think is the right way and how you think you know best, but choose to zoom out, pray God's kingdom and God's will and watch what God will do through your life as you line up your life with his will and his way. The fourth point is provision. Turn to your neighbor and say provision. I am never doing a six point message ever again, Pastor Mark. Don't make me do it. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Back when I was a youth pastor, I was doing lots of different jobs. And I remember at one point I was working at Pizza Express full-time, which was in reality part-time because the yards were all over the place. And I was volunteering here as a youth pastor at the time. And I remember making a decision to put God first in my finances, even though that would mean that I didn't really know what I'd have left for the rest of the way. I chose, I said, God, I'm gonna make a decision to trust you with my finances, give to the house, tithe, trust you, and you'll work the rest out. So as I gave in faith, I literally was getting paid that Monday from work, and I didn't have money for food for the weekend. I was like, I'm not going into an overdraft. I'm not going into debt. I came up with this great idea. I said, you know what? I'll just fast for the weekend. I'll just turn this into a spiritual thing. Oh, I'm not... I'm not, I'm not eating because I'm broke. I'm just going to fast, right? You know, be holy about it. I remember coming to church on the Sunday and it was a crazy moment where someone random from church isn't here, um, comes up to me and does that whole thing like your, your grandmom would do where they just put an envelope in your hand when your hand's kind of closed so it's like forcing its way in. And I'm like, oh, cool, thanks so much, thanks so much. And I left and opened up the envelope and seen that they had given me literally what I would pay for a, fo a week's food shop and didn't know that I was praying that God would come in and meet a need. Now, here's what's really cool about God. In Philippians 4.19, God meets all of our needs according to the glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God's not really interested in our wants, but God is absolutely interested in our needs. 
And Jesus teaches the disciples to pray for daily bread. In other words, pray for sustenance. Pray for what you need to do what God has called you to do. And church, I wanna encourage you today to petition God for provision. Don't get poverty spirit about it and think you can't make big requests of God. In fact, pray and ask God for what seems impossible in your own understanding and watch God bring miracles in you and through you. Don't hold back and say, God, if you're not really so busy, if you've got a bit of time, if you've got some money spare, I'd really appreciate some shopping food this week, do a miracle in my life. Pray with faith. Jesus teaches the disciples, petition God for provision, whatever you need today. He's a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Ask Him to sell a cow, in the words of Corey Tembin. Petition God for what you need, because in this vacuum of your need and God's ability, that's where we find miracles, people. Miracles don't happen unless there's a need, unless there's a vacuum, unless there's a space where God needs to come and do only what He can do. So today, if you've got a need, if you've got something where God needs to come and come through, Trust Him today that as you pray, God can surely do it in Jesus' name. Fifth thing, two to go, is pardon. Turn to your neighbor and say, pardon. Pardon and forgive. That was good, wasn't it? Not intentional. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Psalm 51, one to three in the message says this. says, generous in love. God give grace, huge in mercy, wipe out my bad record, scrub away my guilt, soak out my sins in your laundry. I know how bad I've been, my sins are staring me down. You and I, we ask God for pardon so that we can live in his freedom. You don't live in guilt today, you live in forgiveness. Here's the beauty of the cross. Jesus' death, sacrifice on the cross, paid for the sins of the world. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and acknowledge that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, when we ask God for pardon, we're not pinning Jesus back on the cross every time we do. Some people believe that, we don't. We're not pinning him back to the cross because the sacrifice, my Bible tells me, was good once and for all. But what we're doing in this pardon moment where Jesus is teaching the disciples to pray for pardon is we're bringing ourselves under the wonder and the beauty of His grace, of His forgiveness. Meaning that we don't have to live with guilt because it's paid for at the cross. But in our human, our human being, who we are, we're gonna mess up. Good news for you today, you've come to church, you're gonna mess up, way great news. You're going to mess up. You're going to get it wrong. You're going to try some things not going to work out. But Jesus is saying, bring yourself under the forgiveness of the cross. Ask God for pardon and watch how free you'll live. Watch how light you'll live. You won't live with the guilt and the weight on your shoulders because Jesus carries that for us. But there's this really cool double-edged element to this. It says is forgive our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Matthew Henry says this, Christ came into the world as the great peacemaker, not only to reconcile us to God vertically, but to one another horizontally. Pardon frees me from the prison of unforgiveness. And I wonder today if we're living with unforgiveness in our hearts, we're putting people in prison, prison that God is asking us today to release them from and release ourselves from. 
See, in order to come under the forgiveness and the grace of God, Jesus teaches, forgive other people as well. Don't just live forgiven on your own, but live forgiveness in your life and through your life. There's an expectation today, church, that as we are forgiven, we too forgive. Keep coming under the forgiveness, the grace, the beauty of the cross. And the last thing Jesus teaches is protection. Turn to your neighbor and say protection. There's a good Northern Irish accent there, may I give you that. Deliver me from the evil one. Ephesians 4, 27 says, do not give the devil a foothold. Today, church, your circumstances aren't in control. Your problems aren't in control. Your obstacles aren't in control. The devil's not in control. God is in control. And since God is in control, He brings strength, protection, stamina. But we have a responsibility to ask the Holy Spirit to highlight to us where we've been giving the devil a foothold. Perhaps it's in your mind today, your thought life. You've been given footholds. Maybe it's in your finances, you've been given footholds. Maybe it's in your relationships with family and one another, you've been giving footholds. What happens with a foothold in climbing is it gives you leverage to go up another gear. And I wonder today if we can live as God's people, not allowing there to be any footholds in our world, the enemy would have no leverage on us. And Jesus asked the disciples in this moment, in their prayer life, God, deliver us from the evil one. Ephesians 4, 27, don't give the devil a foothold. In other words, there's a responsibility for us today to ask the Holy Spirit to highlight to us, where is it I might be giving over a foothold to? And in the process, we go through all the other five different Ps and we see that, okay, uh, this might be tough, but God's got perspective. This might not seem straight, but God's, God's my provider. There's provision. God's got a position. Watch what God will do is we allow Him full access to our lives and to our prayer life. Now, I wonder today, church, if we could live as God's people who pray, pray this model, what would we see happen? William Temple says it like this, an old Archbishop of Canterbury. says, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. You today, church, don't have to live under what God has called you to pray over. Pray to your Father God today who hears you. Pray the breakthrough name of Jesus into your circumstance. Pray God's will and God's kingdom. Petition God for provision. Pray for His forgiveness and pardon over your life and pray off the footholds that have been holding you back. The Lord's Prayer, there is power in prayer. And perhaps this series, you've known that you've needed to pray, but haven't known how to pray, then go away from this moment today and think about those six areas. Pray the Lord's Prayer and watch what God will do. My goodness, if Christians wouldn't just pray occasionally, wouldn't just pray flippantly, wouldn't just pray when they were in the dire straits when they felt they needed to pray, but if we all could pray with faith every single day, full of confidence that there's power in the name of Jesus, confidence that God's on the throne of our lives, confidence that He's got perspective of what we're going through, confidence that He can provide for us, that He can forgive us, that He can deliver us. My gosh, 
We'd be on fire for God, people. There'd be no holding us back in the city. There'd be no holding you back in your workplace. There'd be no holding you back in your family. Those family members you're believing to get saved, to come to know God. Oh, what could God do if we got on our knees and prayed with faith like we've never prayed before? What you need, the miracles in your life. What happens if we create a vacuum moment where only God can come through? What could He do? What could He do in your business today? What could He do in your workplace today? What could He do? Thank you for listening to this Audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We'd love for you to join us at one of our campuses, Manchester, Chester, or online every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. 